Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to Believe in Islanders. As the season gets started, I am very excited to introduce our special guest today, Editor-in-Chief of NYI Hockey Now, Christian Arnold. Christian, thank you for joining us today. Of course, I'm happy to do it. So, Christian, it's been a busy time. How has your season been going so far? Yeah, it's certainly been busy. There's a lot to follow, even though the Islanders weren't necessarily as active as um, maybe people would have liked them to be. Um, But certainly a lot of internal signings, a lot of news to keep up with, and a lot of trying to understand the... uh, the rationale and thinking sometimes of general manager Lou Lamorello. And how has that been? The Islanders have a very unique situation where the media is very well respected by Lou Lamorello, but they're not exactly given any free handouts. So you have to really work hard to get information. What's it like covering a Lou Lamorello run Islanders? Yeah, the the team does not leak that much. So any bit of information that does come out, um, certainly is a, is a rare thing until until the signings are official. And usually once that news starts to leak, it's more or less, I would say, probably by design or at that point, it's a foregone conclusion. I mean, you just look at Zach Parisi's um, contract, uh, de- you know, deal coming out when he, he officially confirmed it before the team and um, some of the other other players that basically were free agents, but really didn't have here. You didn't hear any chatter about them on the free agent market. So um, it is kind of uh, a, a guessing game, if you will, sometimes, and it certainly is a, is a challenge to say the least. Um, but it's a lot of trying to put the pieces together for, you know, to get one plus two to equal three. So how do you balance speculation that is based on things that you are almost certain are true with waiting until it's confirmed by the team? Yeah, I think there's certainly room for that. I think for what we do in, on the media side of things and in, in journalism, um, you know, you, you rely on sources, you rely on kind of your intuition. Um, and obviously when you're kind of writing that way, it, it's, you know, you kind of it, it's dictated a certain way, I guess you could say. And, um, you know, you try not to overstep where you're not a hundred percent sure, but um, certainly this, this off season was, uh, was interesting, but you, you usually at that point could tell where the writing on the wall was. And you have been taking us through that off season when you have been hosting hockey night, in New York, you've been doing special dark episodes and planning in-person viewing parties too. How has that been going? Yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun. I think that's, that's, um, the, the a lot of the fun side of it. Um, you know, I have a really great co-host and Sean, Sean Cuthbert, and, um, you know, he comes up, comes at it from a more a fan perspective. And I come at it from more of the, the journalism perspective. You know, I've covered this team now for 10 years. Sean's um, a bit older than me. So he's he's been an Islander fan his, his, a good chunk of his life. And he's seen a lot of bad um, and he seems so good. So um, he certainly wears his heart on, on his sleeve. I think we have a lot of fun with it. The, the Hockey Night After Dark episodes have been more or less um, a product of scheduling, a product of um because we have so many other things going on in our lives. Sometimes it's tough to do a live show at the, the time that we've, we've dictated for it to do. And um, funny enough, it was honestly just one of our, our listeners because we do the podcast through Twitch um, and we live stream until people are watching live. Um, and it was one of our, our viewers and listeners that had actually put that moniker in the chat as the show was going on. And we kind of just we had fun with it. And whenever we, when we ever do sort of later episodes by necessity. So um, it's been a lot of fun and we're actually getting ready to host our first live event um, 
of this season, we did a ton during the playoffs and in the regular season last year, once things started to open up and, and COVID restrictions started to loosen a little bit. Um, but we're doing our first live event this, uh, this year on Saturday, October 30th before the Islanders Nashville game, um, sort of a Halloween themed boozy brunch, uh, at RJ Daniels, which is a, a sponsor of ours, uh, a presenting sponsor of ours on hockey night in New York. And, um, anyone that's listening is certainly encouraged to come down, wear a costume. It'll be a lot of fun giveaways. Um, we'll have some games and stuff going on during the intermissions. It, it, there have always been a great time during the playoffs and I can only imagine they're going to be even more fun this year, especially with our, our new partnership with RJ Daniels. Your podcast covering the ups and downs of the Islanders has been a metaphor for this season. In just three games, there have been ups and there have been downs. What have been your impressions on the Islanders through just three games? Yeah, it's certainly um, it's a work in progress, I guess you could say. Uh, I think the natural reaction from a lot of people, especially the first two games, was a lot of doom and gloom. And there's understandably so, because I think that when you saw a lot of people talking about how the Islanders have often had slow starts before and they've made the playoffs relatively um, you know, for the most part in the, those seasons, I, I, even la- compared to last year and in years in the past before that, the difference in those first two games is there was a lot of uncharacter- uncharacteristic mistakes by the Islanders, right? Um, so you saw a lot of sloppy play. The communication wasn't there. The, their defense, which is their bread and butter, um, seemed a little bit off. It wasn't, to me anyway, it didn't seem like that in years past. Now, that game against um, Chicago, certainly had some elements of that in game three of, of the season, but you saw Ilya Sorokin finally step up and be the goaltender that the Islanders needed him to be in those moments. One of the other big things besides their defense has always been their goaltending. Right. And so you look at the play of Ilya Sorokin for through the first two games and he struggled a bit. There's no question about it. Sure. He was hung out to dry on uh, certain instances uh, against Florida and against Caroline in those two games. But there were also moments where he, he needed to have some saves and just didn't come up with them. That wasn't the case in, against Chicago. That was a much better, much more locked in, much more um, confident Ilya Sorokin in that game. And, and he made the big saves, um, gave the Islanders a chance to win through the first two periods. They did not play great. They, he had There was 31 shots on, on goal on Ilya Sorokin through the first 40 minutes of that game. And he stopped every one of those shots, including a couple good chances, including a shorthanded breakaway in that last couple minutes of the second period before going to the third. And that's when you saw the Islanders really find their rhythm in that third period and get back to their style of hockey. Um, it also didn't help that Matt Martin was hurt for the first couple of games. The fourth line didn't look as um, intimidating, I guess you could say, as it had in the past um, when all three of them are out there. So they struggled a bit too. But then you, you kind of saw the, the opposite of that in the Chicago game. The owners weathered the storm early, which we've seen them do in the past. And then they were able to really get their – game going, get their offense going and find their rhythm in that third period. With Semyon Varlamov injured, why was that performance against Chicago so important for Sorokin mentally after that rough first two games? Yeah, you know, I think it just gives him some more of that confidence. I don't think Ilya Sorokin lacks a lot of confidence. I think he's kind of in the in the same vein that Varlamov is and other goaltenders have been for the Islanders. You know, there's a very even, even keeledness to him. Uh, at the same time, he's still a young goaltender. He's still acclimating to a lot of new things in the National Hockey League. And this is his first 82-game season uh, in this league. He's seeing teams that he's never seen before as well. You know, the Islanders are seeing teams that they haven't seen in a couple of years as well. So um, the importance of that game was the fact that to get back in that mental space of the confidence that he had, 
to know that he can play against these teams um, out West and the East, you know, good teams, teams that they, the Islanders need to beat um, kind of getting back into that headspace. And that was important for him to, to be there and, and kind of feel that confidence once again. So that was, that was a big win for him. That was a big, big confidence boost for him. And I think too, for the Islanders and the guys in front of him, that's a huge momentum swing when the guy, um, your last line of defense, your goaltender is making those critical saves. And I think most of them would, would tell you that. And, and it's been such a big part of the Islanders runs in the playoffs and during the regular season as well in the past is that they rely a lot when their game is, is slipping a little bit and they're making mistakes. They rely a lot on their goaltenders to make those big time saves. They had it in Robin Leonard. They have it in Semyon Verlamov when he's healthy and they need to have it in Ilya Sorokin in that game in game in the third game of the year against Chicago. That's what they had. Also, in the first two games, Zdeno Chara struggled. He has had an up-and-down season so far, but Islanders fans have seemed to scapegoat him as someone that really needs to improve his play. So what went wrong with Zdeno Chara in those first two losses? You know, I think a lot of it... I don't... I, I think Zdeno Chara is getting fair criticism to a certain point you know he's looked his age in those games but at the same time um you know not all that's necessarily on Zidane Char. you know he, when he's playing with a younger player like no Dobson there's going to be mistakes that he's going to have to kind of make up for so if he kind of gets caught trying to make up for a mistake with Dobson out of out of out of position or something like that he's going to, he's going to be the one that is highlighted because he's the veteran because he's, you know, Zidane Ochara, future hall of famer, all these other things. That being said, he certainly looks slower than, than you'd want for him. Um, you know, he doesn't, the Islanders don't have that kind of um, puck moving defenseman with that can skate like they did when they had Nick, Led, Nick Letty and, you know, granted Nick Letty got a, a lot of criticism last year too. When you look back on that, on that season, on his season with the Islanders last year, but at the same time, um, it's just more noticeable, I think, when you when now without someone like a Letty, um, and you have basically replaced him with with the Zidane Char, and you're putting a lot of the pressure um, to fill that role that that Letty played on on Noah Dobson. So, you know, you saw the criticism, and I think it comes from a fair point because of the expectations that are on Char, the you know the belief that he can still play, and then he goes out there and he doesn't necessarily look like he's a hundred percent in sync, and that's a problem for the Islanders, right? Because when the offense isn't going, when the defense is making a lot of mistakes, all of this starts to pile up. The goaltending is not making saves. Um, you know, all these things become much, much more highlighted. And the one thing I hate about criticizing defenders, and I say this a lot, whether it's on Hockey Night in New York um, or to people when we have these conversations, is that the, it, defense is the, is the toughest position to play because you get all of the blame and you get none of the credit unless you're scoring goals. And so um, kind of in that vein, with all this going on, that's, that's kind of where I'm, I'm coming at this from uh, in the analysis of where Char has been. So I, I think Char is also acclimating to a, to a little bit of a new system and, and new partners and, um, and playing in a little bit of a different role. And I think that takes time. I think you've seen a lot the last couple of years with Islanders that come in and don't have a ton of time to acclimate and adjust and, and get used to everybody that, you know, they struggle for a little bit before finally catching that rhythm. And, um, you know, we've seen in the past with some of the forwards and Pajot, you saw it last year in Paul Marion and, and, and Zajac. Um, and I think that's kind of part of what's happening here, too. It's, it's a bit of Zidane Char showing his age, a bit of him trying to acclimate to a little bit of a new system and a new deep partner and to kind of the surrounding players around him also struggling on the blue line. The way that the Islanders play is as a team. And I think Zidane mm -hmm. Chara has come from 
different circumstances. And now he joins this Islanders team and he needs to fit into this system. And I think that you saw the few times that he was out of position. You bring up great points. It wasn't just his fault. Four other players and a goaltender contributed to that. He's just the scapegoat because one, he's the biggest player on the ice. He's also the biggest name and he is a newcomer that isn't exactly fitting in. So I think that it is going to be a Paul Mary. It is going to be a Pajot situation. That's a really good point that I don't think I've heard many people say before. You just have to give Char a little bit of time. Yeah, I think too. And I think the other sort of situation you're going to see is Sebastian Ajo is going to get some playing time as well. Where that's going to be and who that's going to be for um, is something to watch for. I'm, I'm very curious to see the, the plan that Barry Trotz has for that, that defensive core. Cause I mean, as much as you don't want to scapegoat to Dano Char, he's also 44, you know, Andy green is, is also up there in age too. And that's not to say that they're old, but in hockey years, you know, they're certainly up there. And Sebastian Ajo presents an opportunity for a, a younger player, fresher legs, um, someone who's known um, for his ability to skate and, and be kind of that Nick Letty role. So I'm very curious to see how that plays out as well as, as how much time Zidane Chara gets playing with Dobson before you start to see him moved around a little bit in the, in the, in the defensive end of the lineup, because you saw that during the game, the game against Chicago, where Barry Trotz moves Zidane Chara around a little bit and changed up the deep pairings. And that seemed to settle things down a little bit. And I wonder if fans are taking a look back I'm sure Lou Lamarillo and Barry Trotz aren't, but a sentiment I've seen is that Eric Gustafson would have been a great fit as well on this yeah. D-line. And I think that a lot of fans are thinking about that as well and Ajo and seeing how they can help this team if in a different world Gustafson was there. But right now it seems to be Ajo is the guy that can give these two older players some rest. Yeah, I think too, if, you, if, you're, if you're looking at this too from the perspective of the Islanders and how they kind of want to see some of these players develop, Eric Gustafson is... is is had a great camp. Um, there's no question about it. He really, he certainly in my mind, I thought he earned a spot on the blue line. I thought he earned a contract. I was very surprised when um, things kind of developed the way they did with him being the one that was, that was released from the, from the trial contract uh, on the flip side of that, uh, you know, from a development perspective and, and from wanting to see the guys that you've invested so much money in all these years, to, you know, succeed. This is a great opportunity for Sebastian Ajo, who's been a tremendous player down in the AHL for years, um, really get an opportunity to get some consistent playing time. You know, Ajo obviously, you know, kind of rode the bus, so to speak, last year with the Islanders. Um, but, you know, you, you saw him, I think, for two games when when um, Noah Dobson was was going through some of his COVID things, uh, issues. And so uh, this is an opportunity where I think you have a much better chance to see uh, Aho develop more of consistent ice time, even if it's sporadic as he, as he fills in for um, Green and, and Zidane Chara. And it's a good maybe litmus test or a good stepping stone for him to be more of an active and more of a, um, a constant presence, not this year maybe, but years going forward once you have Zidane Chara, who's only going to be here more, most likely another uh, this for this year, or Andy Green who will most likely only be here for this year. Aho is a potential solution, as is maybe switching up the pairs. And you saw that when Zidane Chara played with Ryan Pulak. When that move was made in the game against Chicago, the Islanders started to excel. Is that something that could stick? Yeah, you know, I think I think something that people kind of forget, and maybe it was it was one of those things that Trotz talked about, and then it was among so many other things that he talked about, people kind of forgot it. This it shouldn't come as too much a surprise, this of a surprise that he 
made the decision to, to kind of move the D pairings around a little bit, because that's something he talked about in training camp, well, specifically talking about Zidane Ochar. Um, you think back to some of the things he said when, when someone asked him about that, um, he said something to the effect of he can see Char playing with Scott Mayfield. He can see Char playing with a pool lock. He can see Char playing in these different positions and different roles on the defensive end. So that I think wasn't that much of a surprise. I think where the, my curiosity uh, comes in here is whether the plan or the framework for how that's going to be played out is more of a reactionary or sort of a, a proactive approach. And there was something I actually asked Trotz today, um, today ahead of the Columbus game about, because I'm, I was curious if that was more a reactionary decision or a, a proactive decision um, because I think if it's a proactive decision, maybe that ha- gives us a better inclination of how this is going to be rolled out during the, the regular season. Trotz now said it was more of a reactionary decision to do that. So to me, I think now you're going to see the lineup defensively be something around what we've seen that since the start of the season. But if, if he finds pairings that click in, in the meshing up of some of these during the course of games, maybe those are the ones that stick for a while before they just don't work anymore. And then he moves them around again. And maybe that's just the way that the defense is going to be handled over the course of the season. A similar debate that has arised amongst the Islanders has been who should be that top line winger. Kyle Palmieri was the top line winger in the first three games, but Oliver Wallstrom, three goals in three games is a pretty good start for him. But can he keep up the scoring touch? You know, I think it's going to be the ups and downs of, of a, a young player's season. Even Matthew Barzal goes through kind of these, these ebbs and flows during the course of a year, and, and he's kind of solidified his spot on that top line. What I think the plan and what I think will happen here with, with Oliver Wallstrom, I don't think this is the year that we see him get into the top line. And I think the reason, actually, it's funny, we had this conversation on Hockey Night in New York the other day. Um, the, the reason I think that is still you want to give him some insulation from the pressure because the moment you put him on the top line, the pressure and the expectations, while there are a lot on him, they change. And I think you really have to be comfortable with Oliver Wallstrom's confidence level and maturity and where he's at in his career. um, If you're going to put him on that top line, because like I said, the moment you put him up there, the moment you put him on a a line with Matthew Barzal and Anders Lee, the, the perception, the expectation, everything changes. And there's so much more pressure and there's so much more weight. And I think you're still seeing him get out of that, that zone where he sometimes does try to do too much, even on the third line. Um, it's something that Barry Trotz actually talked about after the Carolina game, the, the game they lost and, and to open the season. You know, he, he said he saw Oliver Wallstrom still trying to do too much. And so if he's still trying to do too much on the third line, he's going to have an extra amount of pressure to try and do more on the first line. And that could create more problems. So I think right now, Kyle Palmieri has been, you know, an excellent winger for the Islanders there on that top line. He's meshed well with Matthew Barzal, who had a a pretty good, um, you know, he had a pretty good uh, relationship. He had a pretty good um, chemistry with during the limited opportunities he got last year during the play, during the regular season, um, even a little bit in the playoffs. And then you've seen him and Anders Lee really kind of find their groove as well, which has been good. So I don't know if the, if the decision right now would be smart to move a Palmieri out of that out of that spot and, and put Wallstrom in there concerning the current current circumstances. But a good thing that Islanders fans have seen from Wallstrom at a just basic level is he shoots the puck a lot. Yeah. And that seems <laughs> to be something this team really needs. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's the conversation we've been having for 
a long time, um, right? Because it's always been the Islanders problem. The uh, people have always been clamoring for kind of that, that the natural goal scorer. And Wallstrom certainly seemed to have some of the traits of that. And he's a guy who just goes out and shoots the puck. And you, you see the Islanders start to create more chances um, when they have players just going out and shooting the puck. It's been a problem with the power play in the years past. That's been a problem with um, generating, generating offensive opportunities in, in years past. So for the Islanders to have a guy like that, as, as young as he is still, um, and for him to continue to be able to develop in that system and develop that skill set even more, I think that's, you know, that's a great thing. It's something that Islander fans, I'm sure, um, you know, like I said, they've been clamoring for that for years and they finally, they finally got something like it. Islanders fans are looking for a shooter and they're also looking for that fourth line to be what it once was. The team seems to really need this fourth line and Matt Martin being back from injury after a difficult offseason certainly helps that. What does his return mean to the Islanders? You know, it's it's you really notice and I kind of mentioned it before. You really noticed what his presence on that fourth line meant in the first two games. You just didn't see them as effectiveness, you know, as effective as they they could have been or they would have been. Um, You really for for lack of a better term, you know, you, you saw them lacking a bit of that identity um, there on that fourth line. And that's that's big for the Islanders because the Islanders generate a lot of offense. They generate a lot of momentum. They generate a lot of who they are from the play of that fourth line. And so when things are going bad, like they were in the first two games, that fourth line becomes even more crucial. And so because and, and because you didn't see them have the same impact when they would throw their body around. They just weren't as noticeable. Um, you know, the game against Chicago, they were noticeable. You noticed when Matt Martin and Clutterbuck and, and Casey Zizekas, when they were on the ice. Um, obviously, he had the goal. Cal Clutterbuck obviously had the scoring chance the game before that in Florida. But still, maybe that was the most noticeable they had been um, on that in that game. Chicago was a different story. You certainly noticed the more. You felt their presence more. Um, and when you have that, it changes the, the course of games. I mean, you know, you saw it in the playoffs last year. You saw it during the regular season. That's just what they do. They throw their body around. They can generate some scoring chances. Casey Zekas is someone who has offensive ability. Kyle Clutterbuck, too. Um, you know, he has a bit of offense t- offensive talent that goes a little under under noticed and underappreciated sometimes. And, you know, Matt Martin's a guy who's going to who's gonna surprise you every once in a while, net, um, you know, net a big goal and, and kind of really – generate a lot of buzz from that. So they play a, a obviously very well-known under understood physical hard-nosed game. Um, and that leads to offensive opportunities that leads to offensive chances, even if they don't pot the puck in um, you know, when they're buzzing and when they're going and when they're creating that havoc on the ice, it's creating opportunities for the Islanders. And that's why it's so important to have a Matt Martin out there. Um, and you kind of notice the drop off when, when you had Ross Johnson, who he had some, he had good moments during the preseason. He played a few preseason games with Zizekas and with um, Cal Clutterbuck there. Even, you know, he even had that goal in the preseason to, to open the, the open the exhibition game up against the New York Rangers. Um, so you saw, you saw what looked like, Hey, maybe that's going to be, that's something that the Islanders can work with. And it just, it didn't translate. And the moment you had that group and that the, those three back together again, you notice them again, you notice their Im- impact they have on the game. I think a fun story to summarize Matt Martin's importance is one that Emily Kaplan shared for ESPN on Tuesday. She said that Cal Clutterbuck and Matt Martin were both convinced they'd be chosen in the Seattle expansion draft. When they called their agents, however, they were told they were protected which really surprised the two because they weren't expecting that and their agents or Lou Lamarillo hadn't told them that. So it really seems like the fourth line, while not the same, maybe what it once was, 
it means so, so much to Lou Lamarillo and Barry Trotz. Yeah. I mean, it's part of what the Islanders style of play is. They mean, and they are the embodiment of what Lou Lamarillo and Barry Trotz talk about when it comes to playing Islanders hockey. Um, And it's hard to really find another, another group like that in the national hockey league. When you look at their importance and when you look at their, their, their impact on games and their impact on, on teams, you don't just, you don't see that. You notice now, a lot more teams trying to replicate what that line does. I mean, the perfect example is what the New York Rangers have done just across the river over in Manhattan. Um, some of their additions certainly have a, a similar feel to it of what, you know, that, that they're trying to do and trying to, trying to replicate what the Islanders have done. I and mean, we've seen in other markets as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, I'm surprised it surprised them because I think anyone who watches this team play and, and listens to the way Barry Trotz talks about um, that line and those guys, it, it shouldn't come as much of a surprise that they would protect them because they certainly value them uh, a lot. And that the, those three of them, Clutterbuck, Martin, Sezikis, mean way more than I think could ever be quantified um, to the Islanders organization, um, you know, tr- you know it, it, and at their current state. So Christian, to conclude our conversation here, let's move on to discuss the things that fans are really waiting for right now. That is a new arena at Belmont Park. So Christian, will that building be ready by November 20th? Yeah, I don't think that there's any question about that. I know over the weekend there was some rumors going around that um, that the opening would be pushed back two weeks, uh, that that the Islanders would have to play at NASA Coliseum. Um, you, you know, I don't foresee that, especially because I think that that would be something that would be much, would have already been out in the, in the public spectrum at, at some point, whether reporting through Newsday or the Post or, you know, my outlet. Um, you know, that's a pretty big thing to keep secret. And especially because of the red tape that you need to go through with, scheduling NHL games at a different venue when you've already have them scheduled at, at UBS arena um, for, for just, just kind of to go through this real quick, you know, Nassau Coliseum is a County owned venue um, that would have to go through the County. It would have to go through their current leaseholder um, and it would have to go through the national hockey league. I'd be hard pressed to imagine that the three of those entities that have just named someone within those three entities wouldn't have, somehow let this information get out uh, at that point um, because there are a lot of really good journalists, um, you know, much better than, than me that just kind of has a very base understanding of, of county politics um, that cover sports and they cover, you know, county, county politics in the league that, that would be all over that. So um, uh, just on that level, um, I, I was kind of surprised and, and hard pressed to believe that. Um, but also, you know, I think you look at the progress at UBS arena right now. Um, there's, there's just been so much. They obviously been very good. I'm sure strategically uh, to send out a lot of updates over the last couple of weeks, even, you know, send these clips to the media um, with the banners being installed in the new venue with the scoreboard going up with the lights, but the ice being put down and all that. Um, and you can certainly see, it looks like the, everything is basically done on the interior as far as the bowl goes. And as far as seating goes, um, you know, I, I believe they started two a day, you know, two a day shifts. 
um, 24, 24 hours on, 24 hours out, off kind of thing recently. So, you know, they're chugging along. I don't foresee any sort of instance where this arena is not going to be ready. So I, I think Islander fans can, can breathe easy that, that UBS arena is going to open on October 20th, uh, October, November 20th um, with the Calgary flames playing the Islanders the night before there's, uh, there's some sort of charity concert there on the 19th. So um, I think it's full steam ahead. People can, can rest easy that the Islanders are going to play in a state of the art venue that is almost done. Um and obviously a bit of a sad anniversary the day that we're, you're, you're recording this with me. Um, this is the, the anniversary of Charles Wong, Charles Wong's death. Um, and, and Charles Wong obviously played such a, a monumental role in um, obviously keeping the Islanders on Long Island. And then even after they went to Brooklyn, playing a hand and getting the Islanders to Belmont Park where they are now. Certainly important to bring him up because his vision was to keep the Islanders on Long Island and and that will certainly be happening with UBS Arena. And I think what I've been noticing and what I've been hearing from people who work at UBS Arena who are on the ground, what I've been hearing, the sentiment seems to be the building will be ready. The hockey will be perfect, but maybe the amenities won't be 100%. Maybe there won't be some painting done. Maybe there won't be this suite done. That's what it seems to be that I've been hearing is that it's going to be 90% done. You're going to notice a few things not done, but hockey's going to be played and it's going to be perfectly fine. Yeah. I mean, I think that happened to Disneyland too, when they opened that in the fifties, yep. but, <laughs> um, but I know, I think that's, I'm sure, I'm sure other major venues too have, have gone through this. And obviously with the, hoops that everyone has kind of had to jump through with the pandemic that's gone on. Um, it's a, it's somewhat understandable that, that a project like this might not have everything done once the building is ready and opened. That being said, when you think about, um, when you think about how much red tape there is to do any sort of construction in, in New York state or on long Island, um, to see the, how quickly the arena has progressed over the last couple of years, even with, a shutdown um during the pandemic i mean it is it is a pretty impressive thing to see it certainly is and it also is impressive to look at the schedule and see a 13 game road trip until the islanders (laughs) return home what are you looking for for this team to improve upon as they hit the road on this road trip yeah i think um really it's it's finding that cohesion and getting back to their style of play and and finding find, playing it consistently you know i think that's the biggest thing um you want to see Ilya sorokin continue to find the rhythm that he had in that in that game against chicago um semian varlamov is getting towards healthy i think there's some confidence that he could we could see him at some point in the next couple games so that's a big boost for the islanders too and a help kind of iron out some of the issues that they've had in the first two game, two three games um and again really just get back to their their style of play you want to see wallstrom play at that consistent level that he's been playing you want to see bars all start to put up um you know the points in that top line really um do what it's been doing through the first couple games and making that offense and creating that offensive impact that they've had and really you want to see that second line start to generate that secondary scoring, which you kind of expect them to do as well. So um, really, I think the big, the big bottom line is consistency and, and the Islanders need points. Um, you know, it's crucial early in the seasons where they've gotten a lot of their points in years past as well, despite slow starts. Um, but that becomes even more important this year with the fact that it's truncated season with the fact that it's the first time they're playing an 82 game season in the last two years. And the fact that once you get towards the second half of the year, that's when the Islanders 
for some reason, no one's really been able to explain this, but for some reason, they always kind of have that second half slide and then they go from first place to, to a wild card spot or third in the division. So a lot of that has had to do with the, the number of points they're able to pick up early on and the Islanders are going to need to continue that um, as they go through this extended road trip. And they certainly will. And the Islanders are also looking to see if the experts were right. Usually they predict the Islanders to struggle, but now they're Stanley Cup favorites. So for our final question here, Christian, do you think the Islanders have what it takes to win the Stanley Cup? Yeah, I predicted that they would win the Cup um, before the start of the season. and I will stick with that. I think this is an Islanders team that is getting it together. There's a lot of good things you have to like and be excited about. Um, and once you kind kind of iron out some of the, the details that have been struggling, have been and kind of hindering them, I should say, um, once you kind of solidify how or figure out how you're going to deploy your defensive units and how you're going to um, make sure that everyone's given the right amount of time so that, that they're not overworked and um, you start to see that that offense come together and, and everyone in the lineup scoring, I, you know, I think. I think this is a team that that has proven that it can play with just about anyone and play with the best teams in the league. So um, I'm going to stick with my prediction that they will win a Stanley cup. I think it'll take seven games and I think they'll be end up having to play Colorado for the cup, but I think they win it. Well, Christian, I really appreciate your time today and I'm sure Islanders fans appreciate your optimism. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Of course, I'm happy to do it. And don't forget, obviously, listen to your great podcast, but make sure you check out myihockeynow.com and you listen every week to Hockey Night in New York and come out to the October 30th uh, boozy brunch bash over at RJ Daniels in Rockville Center. Of course, that was Christian Arnold, editor-in-chief of NYI Hockey Now. Thank you so much to everyone who listened today right here on Believe in Islanders. I will see you next week with another great episode. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.